Good evening, everyone, and welcome to the New York Historical Society. Uh, and thank you for braving the bad weather. We know that we'll have people um, continuing to come in for a little bit uh, because of the horrendous traffic and rain outside. But uh, they'll just take their seats and bear with me, please. Um, I am, for those of you I don't already know, I'm Louise Mirror. I am the very lucky person who gets to be called president of this splendid institution. And uh, I really am delighted to see all of you in our beautiful Robert H. Smith Auditorium. Uh, as I think all of you know, on view right now is our new exhibition, Chinese American Exclusion Inclusion, um, a wonderful show. Cur our curator is here, um, Marcy Reeve, and I know I saw her before, Vice President for History Exhibitions. Uh, the show explores the centuries-long tradition, uh, sorry, history of trade and immigration between China and the U.S. Um, this is a history that involved New York from its very beginnings and that raises the question of what it means to be an American. To complement the exhibition, we've planned a special series of programs, uh, and you will find a listing, full listing of them in um, our brochure. If you haven't already received one on the way in, please take one on the way out. Uh, I'd also like to encourage those of you who are not yet members of the New York Historical Society to join. Um, our members provide support for virtually everything we do at the New York Historical Society. Tonight's program, An Evening with Nancy Kwan, is a part of our Bernard and Irene Schwartz Distinguished Speaker Series. And I would like, as always, to thank Mr. Schwartz for his great support. Um, uh, it is uh, what has really enabled us to offer so many fine programs like the one this evening. Um, I also would like to thank and recognize our uh, trustee, Agnes Xu Tang, um, who has done so much on behalf of the institution and this exhibition in particular. And uh, I know that um, our esteemed Manhattan Borough president who represented us so ably for the past 12 years in this district, Gail Brewer, is, uh, if not here yet, on her way. And um, no one can ever thank Gail enough. I'd also like to recognize, uh, if she's here yet, our council member, Margaret Chin, who is actually featured in the exhibition. Um, my great friend over many years, uh, Wellington Chen, who is the executive director of the Chinatown Partnership, is with us this evening. And Wellington, I'd like to thank you for your friendship and your great encouragement of this exhibition over past uh, three years that we've been working on it. And um, so many people who are here this evening are here because of the spectacular work in getting the word out that has been done uh, by Asian Women in Business President Bonnie Wong and SAG-AFTRA, um, which is the Screen Actors Guild and the American Federation of Television Radio Artists, um, its national vice president and New York local president, Mike Hodge. Tonight's program will uh, last about an hour, and it will include a question and answer session. We ask audience members to line up between microphones uh, in the left and right aisles. We do that so that everyone in this room can hear you, and um, also so that those who listen to our recorded podcasts can hear you. After the program closes at 7.30 p.m., we're offering a special private viewing um, of the exhibition, Chinese American Exclusion Inclusion, with the exhibition's curator, Marcy Reven. 
she will be on hand in the gallery to speak with you and also to answer any questions that you might have. So tonight we are thrilled indeed to welcome Nancy Kwan to the New York Historical Society. Ms. Kwan is an internationally accomplished actress known for her starring role in the world of Susie Wong, for which she was nominated Best Actress and International Star of Tomorrow by the Hollywood Foreign Press. She's also known for her lead role in Flower Drum Song, the film adaptation of the acclaimed Rogers and Hammerstein Broadway musical. Ms. Kwan, who has acted since the 1960s, is the recipient of numerous awards that celebrate her role as a pioneer for actors of Asian ancestry in Western cinema. We're also delighted to have as our moderator for the evening, Susan Lacey, who recently signed a multi-year deal with HBO as producer and director of HBO documentary films. Her first film is a comprehensive look at the life and work of Steven Spielberg. Before joining HBO, Ms. Lacey was the creator and executive producer for 30 years of American Masters, a 27-time Emmy award-winning PBS series that chronicles the lives of great American figures. The series includes the documentary Hollywood Chinese, in which pioneering Hollywood star Nancy Kwan is featured. Ms. Lacey was the 2008 recipient of the Women of Vision Award and the recipient of the Cine Golden Eagle Lifetime Achievement Award in 2010. Um, I want to uh, make sure that before we begin our program, uh, all of you have switched off anything that makes a noise sound like a cell phone. Um, and now, just before our guests take the stage, um, we are delighted and proud to show a trailer from Nancy Kwan's documentary, To Whom It May Concern, Kashen's Journey. Thank you. Since the earliest movies, White actors have played Asians on screen. Sakini by name, interpreter by profession. But in 1960, one woman changed the face of cinema. How do you pronounce your name? Kwan. And your first name? Nancy. I have never seen Chinese play the Chinese until Nancy. Oh yes, I remember. Nancy was the personification of what was Hong Kong. Young, attractive, ambitious, clever. She was so beautiful. I became her fan right away. Nancy was a unique celebrity. There were no other Asian leading ladies. Without any doubt at all, she was the very first Hong Kong movie star. And starring lovely Nancy Kwan. Nancy Kwan had seemingly conquered the Hollywood establishment. Movie-going audiences all over the world fell in love with this young Eurasian girl from Hong Kong. Tony, Dean, Marlon. I give up. It's Rock. Rock who? Rock, your husband. Take your filthy hands off me. It broke stereotypes. It broke myths. Asians could be funny. We could be American. Yes, indeed. Nancy Kwan's success had finally shattered the stereotypical image that Asian actors had struggled to overcome. I remember sitting there at the premiere and people applauded. But in her personal life... You know, Bernie was her, her heart. Took me in his arms and says, you're gonna take care of my mother. Forces beyond her control 
would forever change the world of Nancy Kwan. I still miss him as much as the day he passed away. It hasn't changed. You write him letter of introduction? How shall I address it? To whom it may concern. Welcome, everyone. You know, it just occurred to me uh, that it might be interesting to remind people why this documentary about you is called To Whom It May Concern, uh, which has to do with the world of Susie Wong and uh, the character of William Holden arrives in Hong Kong with a letter of introduction. And he explains, why don't you tell the story? Uh, before that, I would like to say, um, welcome, everyone. Ni hao, ni ho ma. Okay. Um, to whom it may concern? Susie Wong. Well, that was so long ago. My goodness. Um, what was the question you wanted well, to know? Well, it's just that people may wonder why this documentary is called To Whom It May Concern. Oh, because Brian thought, Brian Jameson is the director, producer of uh, To Whom It May Concern, Carson's Journey. When Brian approached me a few years back, and he says, I want to do a documentary on your life. So I said, why? I mean, there's nothing interesting about my life. Why do you want to do a documentary? And he said, well, I beg to differ. And so we went to Cambodia, and we started shooting. The location's all in Cambodia. And so Brian thought it would be, it was a clever thing to use the Susie Wong line to whom we may concern. And then Kashan's journey is, Kashan is my Chinese name, Gassin. Anyway, in the movie, which perhaps you've all seen, The World of Susie Wong, William Holden arrives in, uh, in Hong Kong with a letter of introduction. And I think he takes you to a restaurant. And he, to get a seat, he, uh, a good seat, he, he provides this letter. And he explains what uh, an introduction letter is. And she said, oh, to whose address? He said, to whom it may concern. So I just put this together when I saw this little trailer, <laughs> even though I have seen the documentary. <laughs> um, you have had the most interesting life. And I know everyone wants to hear as much about it as possible. Uh, but, but so let's go back to the very beginning. Uh, you are, uh, were born in Hong Kong. Yes, I was born in Hong Kong. Tell us about your parents. Um, my father's Chinese, my mother's English, and it was a very difficult, I think, where they met in England, actually, and my father graduated as an architect and met my mother on a film set because he was walking, working with uh, John Box, I think, doing, uh, um, after he graduated, he worked a year in the, in the film studio. And my mother was like, uh, she had aspirations to be an actress. So she left her shoes on the prop, you know, on the chair. And my father said, you can't leave your shoes there. And she said, well, why not? He said, that's a prop. Your shoes doesn't belong there. That's how they met. <laughs> so, and so what, then they met and then um, they married and went back to Hong Kong. Now I come from a very, Manji will tell you that, my cousin here. Uh, very strict, my grandfather, Chinese family. And so it was, I think it was very difficult at that time 
for um, a Chinese from a strict Chinese family to marry uh, a lady, a woman from England, a uh, Westerner, and in those days anyway. But eventually my grandfather got to love my mother a lot, so it worked out. But then they divorced later on. <laughs> well, 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 we'll talk about that a little bit later, but um, I think you had a, a, a wonderful upbringing you were from a well-to-do family. Your father was a successful architect uh, until uh, the f uh, impending Japanese invasion. Yeah. And uh, you had quite a dramatic exit uh, out of Hong Kong. Tell us about that. Oh, that, that was in the documentary. Um, my father, actually, during the war, he was recruited by the British intelligence. And I just found this out about he had a, they all had code names. And you can look it up now in the Hong Kong war, war trials or war crimes. And his name, he took Domus. And I said, what is Domus? Domus, I had to Google and look it up. Is it a Latin name for a builder or an architect? Which made a lot of sense. And so when um, we had to get out of Hong Kong, and my brother, who's like a year and a half older than me, I was a little baby at the time, and he dressed himself as a coolie, and then put us in a basket, my brother in front of me in the back, and kind of you know, covered us up and sprinted us out into China. And that's where he stayed during the war, and we were always running away and, and hiding you know, from unfortunate incidents. And so. Uh, so when you went, you went back to Hong Kong after the war? Yes, after the war. Um, Without your mother? Uh, well, they, they had just they divorced just at the beginning of the war. So she was stuck in Shanghai. It was kind of very tragic in a way. And uh, my father and I, you know, and my brother, we got out. We were in China. And, um, oh, maybe I should tell you the story. Yeah. This is kind of interesting. I just found this out, too. My, um, my father used to pick up. They had areas, and his was the upper river area that he was in charge of. I think it must be in Guangdong province somewhere. And he, his role was to pick up American servicemen that were shot down over China. So there was this young American uh, pilot that was shot down over China, and my father was sent to pick him up. Now, he found it was daytime, and the Japanese had surrounded the whole area. And he found this pilot, the poor young man, he was like 20 years old, 19, shaking. And then he had this English accent. I think he held his gun on my father for a moment. And he said, oh boy, put that thing away, put that thing away. Anyway, he picked him up, and he took him to a um, <clears throat> house of ill repute uh, to hide him, because they couldn't get out. It was, you know, daytime. And they stayed there for four days. <laughs> four days. <laughs> and eventually he took the pilot back to Kunming, I think that's where the Flying Tigers were based, and he delivered him in one piece. That's the story he told you, that, anyway. That. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, after the war, life got settled back in. How did you, you I know that you, you were, became very involved in, in ballet. Yes, that's my first love. So t tell us about that and how that, uh, what your dream was at that time in your life, what you wanted to be? Well, there were two things. When we first got back to Hong Kong, we were driving past where my grandfather used to live, which is an area called Kowloon Tong. And 
I saw this beautiful building. And I said, what is that, Daddy? And he said, oh, that's the Marino Convent School. And I said, hmm, I would like to go to Marino Convent School. I mentioned that because there are some Marino girls here, alum alumni this evening. And so he said, okay, you can go to Marino Convent School. So that, and then I took my first ballet class. Oh, I was in love. And I wanted to be a ballet dancer, so I said, I'm going to train hard, I'm going to work hard, I'm going to be a, I want to go to the Royal Ballet in London and be like Margaret Fontaine. And so I worked very hard, and then when I was 12, I was sent to England and I auditioned for the ballet school. And my father said, no, 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 you get an education first. I said, well, can I dance at the same time and get an education? He said, you may do that. Go to school. And I went to ballet classes two or three times a week or something. And eventually, that's how I ended up studying at the Royal Ballet in London. And didn't you start a ballet school when you went back to Hong Kong? I wanted to start a ballet school. I wanted to teach, actually. But then when I got back to Hong Kong, they were, I was home for the summer holidays. And they were, Ray Stark was auditioning for, he was going around the world, I think, for publicity. It was a big publicity thing because he was going to make this film called The World of Susie Wong. And he got to Hong Kong and he was auditioning all my favorite Chinese actresses. So I said, I got to get up there and I'm going to watch this, you know, what is this? So I asked my father and he arranged it and so I went to the studio. And I'm hanging out there watching all my Chinese actresses, favorite ones, getting screen tests. And then this man comes up to me and he says, uh, excuse me, he says, you, you're here for the screen test? And I said, no, 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 no. I said, I'm watching my favorite actresses. He said, would you like to do a screen test? And I said, well, what is a screen test? And he said, well, all right. He said, sit on this stool there. And he said, we're going to put a camera on you, and then we're going to just ask you questions and just answer. So I said, OK, I can do that. So I sat there. Well, every question he asked me, I giggled. <laughs> I was so embarrassed. I giggled, and I giggled. I giggled through the whole thing. <laughs> I was very embarrassed. I said, oh my god, I must have made a fool of myself. I go home, and a few weeks later, I think maybe almost a month, um, I was about to go back to England, and my father gets a letter from Ray Stark, the producer, and he said, we liked Nancy's screen test. <laughs> and I said, you got to be joking. <laughs> All I did was giggle. He said, well, she come over to America, and we're going to give her a six-month contract and actually pay her so much money. And I said, I'm actually going to earn some money and go to see America. So he said, do you want to go to America? Or you want to go back to England to school? I said, well, I can always go back to school. I've never been to America. I like to take the opportunity. So I got on a plane. And oh, yeah, my father said, no, she can only stay in one place where, uh, at that time, they had a Hollywood studio club for women only. <laughs> um, otherwise, she can't go. So they put me up in this Hollywood studio club for women only. And I met more interesting people in the Hollywood Studio Club. And there were some most beautiful girls. I mean, there were maybe hundreds of them. And, you know, they'll come down for breakfast. Nobody had any makeup on. But they were young women from all over the world. They were there to, I don't know, be in the show business or learn or television or whatever. No, 
television wasn't starting up yet. And they were so gorgeous, and I thought, wow. You know? And then the handsome men that used to come to visit the Hollywood Studio Club, like Frank Sinatra, Cary Grant, uh, I mean, all of these. And so I met um, Roger Smith. Many Did you go out with any of them? Um, no, actually, I didn't. They were dating other women. I was <laughs> And so then I did the screen test, and um, I think that's in the documentary. And eventually, I did not get the role of The World of Susie Wong. That's a very interesting story, actually. Um, but before you tell that story, didn't you have a little bit of a sense that this might be in your future? Hadn't you been seeing a fortune teller? Uh, yes. <laughs> yes. I used to work with Chinese go to fortune tellers a lot. And I went to a fortune teller when I was about, yeah, in Hong Kong. And he said, you are going to be in the arts. I said, oh, yeah, dancing, you know, ballet. He said, nope, nope. You're going to be in the film business. I said, oh, no, no way. I'm, I'm going to be a ballet dancer. He said, you're going to be an actress. And that came true. Yeah. So it's, an it's, a, it's amazing, but also the story of how you ultimately did get to be in the world of Susie Wong is such an interesting story. Why don't you share that with everyone? Well, then I did not get, uh, I did, I think, like two screen tests, and I did not get the role. Uh, Franz Nguyen was doing it on Broadway here, and she got the role. So Ray Stark said to me, look, are you interested in becoming an actress? I said, well, I'm not sure. He said, look, I can arrange for you to go to New York. You can join the Susie Wong production. They're going to go on the road. You can join them and see, and see America and see whether you like being an actress. You still got the contract. You're still getting paid. So I thought, OK, I'll do that. So I came to New York. I joined the Susie Wong road production. And we went on the road. And I did enjoy it and seeing you know, a lot of uh, America that I would not have seen. When we got to Canada, I get this call from Ray Stark. And he said, Nancy, you've got to come to London. Um, you've got to come and do a screen test for the world of Susie Wong. I said, don't be silly. I said, you know, I know you've been shooting already in Hong Kong for the last two months or whatever. Uh, uh, what? He said, no, no, no. He said, um, France is uh, no longer in the film. And we also replaced the director of the film. So would you come over and do another screen test? I said, oh, yeah. Who with? He said, William Hone. So I said, William Hone? I said, yes. I'll be right there. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> I got on the plane, and I went to England. And actually, the screen test was my first day of shooting. I didn't know. I thought it was a screen test. You know, but I, by that time, because of being in the play, I knew the, um, the show so well and the role. So it really helped me a lot. And so I thought it was a screen test. And Ray said, no, no, no. That's your first day of shooting. Right. So we started, we, we shot all the ex interiors in London again because they had shot all the exteriors in Hong Kong. So they scrapped that. We shot the interiors. And I could only have done it because of Bill Holden. If Bill Holden said, no, I don't want Nancy to be in the film, I, I wouldn't have been in the film. Uh, but he I think saw. he. I think you were his choice all along. I mean, I think between, I mean, so I've read. Yeah, I, and I I've know, heard him so. uh, 
looked up some interviews he did that you you were his choice all along. Um, but that was a big that was a big move. I mean, everybody had to come back, and yes. a lot of scenes had to be reshot. Yes, and it was one of the first movies actually shot on, on location. location. That's right, and people, which is very surprising those days, from the actual location. And for Ray Stark, it was his first film. So I thought much later, I thought to myself, wow, that's quite a move to replace the actress and the director. You know, and you're the first time producer. Uh, and it's not a, it wasn't a very expensive film, but it was not a, a small budget film either. It was a Paramount release. And so he did that. He went out on the limb. and. Uh, Luckily for us, the film was um, made money and it was a big hit. Big box office. Is it true that five years earlier uh, that would not have been possible to do with an Asian American actress because of the production code? Yeah, I was just at the time the, the studios were, you know, everyone used to be uh, under contract to the studios. And it was just at the end of that time. I was under contract to Ray Stark. It was seven arts at that time. And I mean, it's, it's like, let's go back to Anna Mae Wong. Okay, there's a beautiful Chinese actress that was in the wrong time, wrong place, because it was too early at that time all the film roles, all the good roles, were played by Westerners. Chinese roles were played by Westerners. And she didn't get a chance, unfortunately, because I thought she was very talented. I've seen many of her films. Oh, and I always thought, you know, it's just um, timing in life. But wasn't it, I mean, I, as I understand it, um, the production code banned uh, interracial romance in movies, so anytime there was a romance there, uh, with, a, with a, a white man, it had to be a white actress. And isn't that extraordinary? I mean, yeah. it's just, a, it's... A, it is today, but I mean, I mean, in those days, I couldn't believe it when I see all those films, and I see uh, uh, John Wayne as Genghis Khan, or, you know, and Mickey Rooney, you know, uh, and, uh, I mean, so... I guess uh, there were a couple of movies. I, I know you mentioned some of them in the documentary, and I think they're well-known movies. Uh, the Good Earth. Yeah, you know, anyway, one would have been, I think, perfect for the role. But Louise Rainer goes, and she wins an Academy Award for this film. And Love Is a Many Splendid Thing. Well, also, Jennifer Jones. A, also a William yeah. Holden. Uh, William yeah, Holden William movie. Holden film. Uh, when you saw those movies, because you saw them before you broke into movies, presumably, right? I saw Love is a Many Splendid Thing when I was at school. I sneaked out because it was a film about Hong Kong. So I thought, oh. So I went to see it, and the music, and Hong Kong, and Jennifer Jones. I mean, I didn't think about, I really didn't connect about her playing a Eurasian woman. I just looked at Hong Kong and thought, oh, how beautiful. And um, so when, Susie Wong, the world of Susie Wong. Well, first of all, let's talk a little bit about some of the stories from the production. <laughs> yeah, I know you have a lot. <laughs> no, 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 not a lot. Well, tell us some of them. No, well, uh, William Holden, it's a man's man and a woman's man. I mean, there were women all crazy about William Holden. You know, I mean, William Holden, and even to today, they say, oh, I love William Holden. And I remember the, my, my, my stepmother in Hong Kong and all her friends, they were all crazy about William Holden. And he had property there, and he spent a lot of time in Hong Kong, uh, Bill Holden. So, um, but 
nothing. I mean, if it, if it wasn't for Bill and Dick Quine, the director, I wouldn't be. I mean, I didn't really know what I was doing, but they were so terrific. You know, when you that's why when you work with someone who's really good, and William Holden technically was terrific, and, and, and he's just you know a flicker of an eyelash or, or just a look. That's all you need on the screen. You know, he never overdid anything. And I learned a lot being on the set and being with him. And Dick Quine, he, he really nurtured me and guided me through this, the performance. Well, I mean, you obviously had, were born with a natural gift. I mean, you're so natural on camera. But didn't you have a little uh, scene where you were a little uncomfortable and uh, they had to talk you into doing it? Oh. By reminding you that someone else had been replaced and you could be replaced too. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, yes. I was, I think, uh, supposed to be wearing this uh, Caucasian-style dress. And William Mosen says, take it off. I can't stand it. You know, you should wear your chonsam and look good and, you know, you look terrific. That's what you should be wearing. And he whips it off and everything. And I have this bra on my pants. I said, I can't do that. I'm, I'm my father. What would they say? You know, and, and so... But in the end, I did. I was kind of covered in bra and panties and things, so. It's a good story. For the arts, you know. <laughs> um, well, the film was a huge box office success, but there were some people, some Asian American societies, that had a little bit of a problem with the fact that you were portraying a prostitute. Oh, I have a story about that. I was in San Francisco promoting my Tai Chi tape because I uh, also practice Tai Chi and instructional tape. We made a really good Tai Chi tape and it sold very well, did very well. Actually, it sold so well that we financed, uh, with that money, we financed the film out of that. So um, this Asian lady was interviewing me about the Tai Chi tape. So we were talking away about the tape and all of a sudden she turns to me and she says, you know, it's all your fault. And I say, excuse me? He says, they think Chinese women are all prostitutes because of you. <laughs> and he said, Susie Wong, Susie Wong was so successful and she was a prostitute. Now all of us, they think we are prostitutes. So I say, excuse me, I say, I don't want to explain it, but I am an actor, that's what we do, you know, we do roles. I mean, if I had played a nun, then I guess all the Chinese would be nuns. <laughs> so. But it was an extraordinary breakthrough uh, to have. I was very lucky. Uh, yes, and it, and it really uh, led to the next part, which is tell us about Flower Drum Song. Uh, now, that's close to my heart because it's Rogers and Einstein, music, singing, and dancing. I, it was the easiest role that I ever got, Flower Drum Song. I was in a Hollywood party, one of those big Hollywood parties that you're supposed to go to uh, when you're first starting in, the, in your in the career. So I was all dolled up, sitting in a party, and this man comes up to me and he says, Nancy Kwan? And I looked at him and I said, yes. He said, you're Linda Lowe. And I went, what? He said, you're perfect for Linda Lowe. And, and I looked at him again, he said, flower drum song. He said, you know about flower drum song? Now, yes, I did know about flower drum song because it was playing on Broadway when Susie Wong was on Broadway too. So I said, yeah. I said, and I, and I went, and he said, 
you, you, you're playing her, you're playing her. So I went, <laughs> yeah, right, right. And he said, I'm Ross, uh, I'm Ross uh, Taylor, uh, Ross Under. Under. And I'm the producer of Flower Drum Song, this movie, <laughs> universal, huge movie, and you're gonna be terrific in it. And you know, it's the easiest job I ever got. And the next day, I get a phone call from my agent and said, oh, you know you're playing Linda Lowe in Flower Drum Song. Uh, which is a Rodgers and Hammerstein musical for Fantastic. few people here who might not know that. <laughs> and the first movie, yeah. I believe, that had an all-Asian cast. Yes, we were so excited and so proud of it because it was the first major Hollywood film made at a major studio, which is Universal, with an all-Asian cast. I mean, it was just a terrific feeling to know that we kind of or the glass ceiling or whatever you might call it, but that we achieved something. And everybody was really gung-ho about it. And thank goodness the picture after it was done did very well at the box office. So we say, see, you know, you can use Asians, cast them, all Asian cast, and still make money. And it takes place in Chinatown in San Francisco. Yeah, it's a, based on a book by C.Y. Lee, who's a friend of mine. And, uh, and uh, just to put that in context, the next time there was a movie with an all-Asian cast was 25 years later with The Last Emperor. That's right. So it's a, it was a pr pretty unusual for the time. And, and everyone involved was very committed to that, very. particularly Rodgers and Hammerstein, I, as, as I've read. But very. tell us more stories about that, because you were there and I wasn't. No, um, oh, I have a story. Okay. <laughs> I have a story. We, uh, the musical numbers took six weeks, you know, singing and dancing. And one day we were rehearsing, and I'm looking in the mirror and we're doing our number. Hermes Penn was a choreographer. Now, Hermes Penn did all the films with um, Fred Astaire. He kind of looked like Fred Astaire and he moved like Fred Astaire. And, but all the great numbers that Fred Astaire ever did, Hermes Penn was the choreographer. Is that so, true? Yeah. Yeah. Yes, very true. I didn't know that. And so Hermes was watching, you know, watching us and standing on the left side. Uh, yeah, I think it was on the left side. And I was listening, looking <coughs> in the mirror, checking myself out. And I'm dancing away. And I looked at him and I said, oh my, that's Fred Astaire. So Fred Astaire came to the set. And I said, oh, that's Fred Astaire. And all the dancers <coughs> behind me were looking in the mirror too. And they also Fred Astaire. So I don't know how we finished the number, but we did get through the number, and it was just, it was just wonderful. And I got to know Fred Astaire, and he um, was a very nice man, really nice man. So of course we get to talk to him about all the musicals he did, you know, in those days, and his elegant, I mean, he just it was perfect. There was never a more elegant answer. True, true. Um, well, after... Didn't you get to be um, known as the Chinese Bardot? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. You are. I don't know. That must be a publicity gimmick somebody thought of. Well, and you were, I mean, you were on the cover of everything. I mean, you, you were. Well, I think Ray Stout was, I was still under contract to him. And I guess he was making money, so he was pushing me into all these covers. You know. um, <clears throat> what happened after you're this huge star 
You've done two movies. You're now 21 years old. Amazing, huh? What happened after that? Uh, did I get married? I think I did. Something like that. No, you know, it's very difficult. Uh, I just want to say that um, for Asian, I think today it's better because of television and video and everything else and all the other channels that you can go into. But in those days, it were films. For an Asian actor to sustain a career, you have to have the scripts. You have to have the written word for it. And if, and they don't in Hollywood, they do not write for the Asians. I mean, that even today, I mean, I think it is much better. It's still not good enough. The Hispanics are doing well much better. And of course, the African-Americans are doing much better. But I think the Asians are still lagging behind. And hopefully, they will catch up as more Asians settle here and support Asians in film. And what are some, I'll just jump ahead a little bit, what are some of the um, recent movies that you feel are kind of indicating that there is a move in a different direction here? Well, well, like you mentioned, The Last Emperor, you know, that was a great film with all the Asian cast. And, and then uh, Crouching Tiger, I liked very much with the Asian. I mean, I think the awareness is much more than in the old days. Um, <coughs> but it was, it was tough. And uh, uh, not only me, but for a lot of my friends, because uh, we all kind of hang out together, all the Asians, so we know each other. So, you know, it's, it's, it's very difficult, very difficult. But you did a huge number of movies after this. Yeah, because Ray Stout... I mean, some of, the, be... some of the leading men are... <laughs> Wait a I've got this written down. I mean, you had an amazing cast. Robert Goulet, Tony Curtis, Dick Van Dyke, Dean Martin, Robert Stack, Rod Taylor. Who am I missing? Oh, um, What? Pat Boone. Pat Boone, I forget. <laughs> He's actually um, the next movie, right? Yeah, because Ray Stout wanted me to get away from playing Asian roles because he thought, then I'll you know, be in more films. So I played a Tahitian girl in Tamihin. Then I played uh, Pat Boone, I think, in this uh, circus film. I think, I think uh, was it Italian or something in the circus? <laughs> I played that. And I even played... An English girl with Terry Thomas mm. <laughs> called a wild affair or something. I mean, so we he really tried, and I. <laughs> but you know, it's just it's it's tough. Well, I've watched all those clips, and you oh you stand out in in all of those movies. As a matter of fact, in the circus movie, the name of which I've forgotten. The main the, attraction. I think the, the main attraction. Yeah. All of the circus performers um, were very admiring of your. Your physical ability. Uh, because that's ballet, you know, that's because I was a dancer and uh, now instead of dancing on the ground, I had to go on a horse and try and, you know, stand on a horse. I think you played an, um, the ward of the headmaster of an English school in, you were a, an English Tahitian. Oh, yeah, yeah, uh, Tamahine. Tam that was, a, I played a Tahitian who goes to an English boarding school and uh, I think I fall in love with this teacher there or something, I don't know, the professor, I've forgotten so long ago. And uh, it was filmed actually at a very good school in England called Rugby. And the, the students were extras, and we, we had a great time, all of us. What, for this sort of string of movies that you did before you went back to Hong Kong, which we'll talk about in a moment, are there any things that stand out for you as wonderful stories you'd like to share? Uh, I'm trying to think. 
well, you know, every film people ask me, what's your favorite film? Which I have a moments, you know, it's like life, you have moments that you treasure. And so I have moments in films that I treasure or I remember or stays with me or like wouldn't hold because he was the first, my first leading man and the first, you know, uh, things like that. I, I, so thinking back, uh, like Bobby Moss, okay, and Robert Goulet. Uh, Bobby Moss actually is my neighbor where I live in Los Angeles. And so he's a song and dance man and, and Robert Goulet, unfortunately, he passed away. Miyoshi, another one I like very much, flower drum song, she's gone too. So it's all the people that you worked with and you know you bonded with, and it's sad. I mean, but that's life. You know. we're on our journey, and um, it's going to happen to all of us. Uh, Miyoshi, is that how you pronounce it? Yes, she was in uh, Sayonara. That's right. She won the Academy Award for supporting actress in Sayonara. She was Red Button's wife. Wife, right? yeah, yeah. And she's also your kind of rival in Flower Drums. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I haven't seen that movie. I watched it again for this. It's it's actually quite delightful, as are you in that. So well, see, they say that about flower drum song too. They said, "Wow, well, stereotypical, <coughs> Nancy. You know, I mean, uh, uh, Chinese didn't react like that or act like that. As well, it was written by C. Y. Lee, based on a book, and well, stereotypical. Okay, but what is that? I mean, uh, Godfather is st stereotypical too. You know, so." I, I don't know, these things happen, people say whatever their opinion, that's fine. You know. uh, so 1970, what, what were you doing, what were some of the other movies during this period you were doing Fate is the Hunter with Glenn Ford, I forgot to mention yeah. him. Yes. Um, didn't you also do a Bruce Lee movie? No, actually I did a, a Dean Martin film called The Wrecking Crew with Dean Martin and uh, with Sharon Tate, very sad, and Elke Soma. And so Bruce Lee was the stunt coordinator. And we, Bruce and I have known each other, kind of know of each other in Hong Kong. We were both young. He went to Lhasa, I went to Mary Noor. And he came to America, and he was doing Green Hornet, I think, uh, at that time, television. And he got the job as stunt coordinator on our film. So he taught me martial arts and Bruce had a lot of energy, and he always said to me, he used to come up to the house and we would work out, and he would say, I'm going to be a big star, Nancy. I'm going to go back to Hong Kong, I'm going to use my martial arts, and I'm going to be a big star, the biggest Chinese star. I said, why not? You know, why, why shouldn't you? And he did that. He went back to Hong Kong, and he used his martial arts skills, and made these films with Raymond Chow, and they were phenomenal. I mean, it was, and he became a major, major star. Unfortunately, for Bruce, I mean, I used to visit him on the set, and he'll say, come on, punch me, punch me. And then he'll say, come on, punch me, punch me. I'll punch him. And he really was, it was full of energy. And then, um, you know, he, he passed away very young. And the unfortunate part was he really didn't stay long enough to enjoy his fame, wealth, because he was very poor. You know, he said, I'm so poor, I was so poor, and now I'm making money. Do you know what, how much money I'm making? He says, you know, <laughs> I mean, that's how Bruce talked. And, and he, he, unfortunately, he didn't get to do that. But he was a very good friend of yours. He was a good friend of mine. And yes. didn't you play uh, the woman who got him started in the Bruce Lee story? 
Yeah, yeah, I did. I yeah. did. Yeah, in Dragon. I played Gussie. Uh, Gussie was the one when he was studying in Seattle University, said to him, you, know, you want to be a dishwasher or you going to college? You know, so he said, go to college, don't be a dishwasher. You know, so that's, uh, that's uh, I did. You're, you're great in that part. You know? <laughs> so, Didn't you also have to um, sort of, um, I don't know, uh, beat up Sharon Tate? In the martial arts, were well, you yeah, kind of? I mean, yeah, we had a fight scene. Yeah, yeah. yeah. it was a lot of fun actually. We, we, <laughs> we could kick higher, you know, and um, and Bruce was so enthusiastic always. Actually, I had a bet. I have to tell you the story. I was in Hong Kong in the seventies, and Bruce was doing all his films, you know, walk, walking the dragon and all that. And there was a series going to be made in Los Angeles called the Kung Fu series. And Bruce said to me, hmm, Nancy, I'm going back to Hollywood. I'm going to be a big star on television now. I'm going to do this kung fu. You know, so. so I said, oh, I don't know, Bruce. Television, I don't know if they're ready for you. You know, <laughs> film, you know, but he said, no. I said, no. He said, you want to bet? I said, yeah, I'll bet. How much? He says, 10 bucks. <laughs> All right, bet $10. I never collected. You know. <laughs> but, you know, he didn't get it. David Carradine got the Kung Fu series, which was written actually uh, by Sterling Sullivan for Bruce. Now, you know, that's television in those days. I think today it's it's a little bit easier, and um, that's what. But happened. you avoided all those stereotypical movies at that time—the Fu Manchu movies and all that. I didn't. Stuff. I didn't. I was offered them, and I thought, no, you gotta. You know, stand your ground and all that Fu Manchu. I said, I can't stand it. And, uh, and they said, go to England. I said, no, no, no. I said, I don't want to be in it. I think even Seven Arts produced one of them uh, in London, you know, so. And then some films here that those pretty English things. And I said, no, I think, you know, I mean, I could afford not to work sometimes. Because during the time I was on, on under contract and Ray Stout would try to push me into films that I really didn't want to do. And then I would run away or disappear. But then, you know, they would suspend my contract so I wouldn't get paid. <laughs> so it was, you know, it was hard sometimes. It was, and then I had to come back and work again. Uh, what happened in 1970? Your father became ill. Yeah, my father became ill. And I went, I went, I wanted to go back to Hong Kong to spend some time there. Because by that time, I'd been in America and in Europe for most of my life. So I thought, well, so I went back to be with my father, and, uh, and unfortunately, he passed away, uh, I think, six months later or something. But then I got an offer to run a film studio uh, and learn about directing and working behind the camera. So I thought, well, okay, I'm getting on, so I think I should you know, learn something behind the camera. So I worked at Script. I, worked at, I, I was the managing director of uh, Nancy Kwan Films. Right. And then we, we directed, I directed a lot of commercials and learned a lot from I think that's it. something most people don't, don't know about you. And you, you stayed for a decade there yeah. running a very successful company. Yeah. So. Um, I've never seen any of those, but um, <laughs> did you, I mean. Well, I also worked in films in Southeast Asia. Right. Tell, yeah. us, tell us a little bit um, about that. During that time, um, I did films in the Philippines in Thailand, uh, sometimes American films, lower budget films. 
shooting in location in Thailand or in the Philippines. Um, I did my first Chinese film with a, a director I admire very much who now has passed away. He was trained in Italy and he said, Nancy, you wrote the script. He said, please do this film with me. Um, and I, I mean, I love working with him, but it was in Chinese. I had to work in Chinese. Tough, tough, <laughs> tough. Did you, you, but so you went Mandarin. to- Mandarin, I mean, I speak Cantonese, but Mandarin was. But you went to the People's Republic of China during that time. I was invited, actually. I got this uh, Chinese came to the house and said, uh, we'd like to invite you to come to China. At that time, it was just before Nixon went over there. So it wasn't open yet, you know, to the, um, to the public. So I said, oh, that would be interesting. He said, we want you to look at the film studios, go to Shanghai, Beijing, ballet companies, and maybe help us with the makeup and things and film. So I said, all right, that, that sounds very good. So then um, I went to China. But in those days, you know, you just can't go to China. I remember crossing the border, the train pulled in on the, on the, and then we had to cross a bridge and the PLA were on the other side with guns and everything, you know, and then you have to turn your passport in. And I went, oh, three weeks in China and they're holding my passport. But my father said before I left, he said, you got to go to our village. We have a village. We come from a certain province and, and look for the Quans. So I said, Look for the Quans. I said, okay. I said, I would submit that, you know, and try to find our ancestors. So I, when I went in, I submitted. I said, could you try and find our village, you know, our ancestors, the Quans? So they said yes. So I went to Shanghai to the film studio, and when I walked in, I see this huge camera. And I said, what's that? He said, that's our camera, Russian made. Must have been pre-war or something. I said, well, we don't have cameras like that. I mean, that clumsy thing, you know. And then they had makeup. They had blotches on the thing. I said, no, no, that's great for stage, but <laughs> film, no, no. And so we, it, was very, it was a learning experience for me, too, I must say. Then I went to the Beijing Ballet School. Oh, were they phenomenal dancers. They have some beautiful uh, ballet dancers, the Chinese have a, now they have a wonderful ballet company. Did going to, did paying that visit cause any problems for you? Yes, <laughs> yes, yes. When I got back to Hong Kong, um, the, they said I was called in, and uh, the Chinese have a union. It was actually Taiwan, um, a film union. And he said, from now on, you're banned for three years. All your films are banned. You cannot work in Hong Kong in films. I said, why? I said, I, you know, I, I went as a guest to China, and now you're banning me, and I can't work in Hong Kong, and uh, none of my films can be shown. He said, well, if you come to Taiwan, and you say you didn't enjoy yourself in China, <laughs> you didn't have a good time, maybe we'll think about it. Didn't like the food at all. Yeah, maybe we'll think about it. <laughs> so I said, no. So I didn't work for three years. Is that why, that's fascinating. That's absolutely fascinating. Is that why you came back to the United States? No, no, my father passed away and then I said, no, actually it's about my son. My son was getting to age where he had to go to high school and college and uh, he was very good at martial arts. I didn't want him ending up in the streets, you know. Like Bruce Lee used to tell me, he was very good at martial arts and all he did was beat up those boys in the streets and the gangs and things, they were all after him. So I said, so we came back to the States then. 
so that he could have a better education and go to college. We kind of passed over that, your first marriage. You married an Austrian yes. ski and scu- Yeah, I married an Austrian ski and which my father did disapprove <laughs> a lot. And we all know we do whatever our fathers disapprove Proof, of. That's right. right. <laughs> so you had a blonde, blue-eyed son. Yes, who spoke perfect Chinese. So every time you go to in America, we would go to a Chinese restaurant. And then he's, what, that time he was 15, 16, and he would order in Chinese, and the waiter says, Wow, that means foreign devil speak. And then I would get free dishes. <laughs> free food. Well, some dishes. So that foreign devil speaks such good Chinese, and he spoke like street Chinese, not just Chinese Chinese. <laughs> I don't know whether you want to talk about that side, that part of it. Well, my son unfortunately uh, fell in love with some woman. He was working on a film. She was makeup. I want to pass over it because he passed away. Uh, he got AIDS. We didn't know. It took like four or five years to find out. It was a very sad period. So I, it's. I mean, I, I've only raised it because I know it is in your documentary and that you have. Uh, been on a healing journey from all of that, but you've also yeah. become very involved in AIDS uh, awareness and AIDS, and you've I become an AIDS to, activist. Yeah, I tried to. Not that, but like last year, we went to Cambodia to um, Angkor Wat, because we shot in Angkor Wat a few years ago in Sin Reap, all the locations, and we saw all the orphans, you know, all the, this, it's very poor, Cambodia is, I think, one of the poorest countries I've ever been to. And the children make their living on the streets and selling trinkets, and some of them are really brilliant, very clever. You know, you'll say, you tell me any capital of the world, and you ask me and I tell you. So I said, okay. I said, uh, Iceland. She said, Reykjavik, right away like that. I went, oh my God. She, I think she made like 10 bucks from us. <laughs> So we thought, okay, we're going to go back there, which we did last year, to the orphanage, and uh, we did a huge fundraiser there, raised like $10,000, which is a lot for them, and we got them solar and school desks and the uniforms, the uniforms. It was nice. It was very heartwarming. And so I try to do things like that for comes from the heart. Yes, I know that. Yeah. I know that. Um, well, when you, you, you didn't stop uh, working by any no. means. You, uh, you did an enormous amount of television in the 80s and the 90s, and, and I really tried to find it. Didn't you do a movie that you wrote and directed and starred in called Loose Woman with No Face? Ah, no, we never made that, unfortunately. Oh, you never I made didn't, it? No, I wrote it. And, um, oh, that's a fire story. My son, actually, it's, this is a story. He was in the film business, and he always wanted to direct. So he came up with a script. He said, Mom, he says, um, I've written this script. It was called Biker Poet, because he was very much into poetry. And, uh, and he loved motorbikes. And he loved anything sportive. You know, I mean, he was a very sportive. And he loved to paint and write poems. So he said, I wrote this, um, this journey. It was a, a, biker, a, poet, a biker poet that goes on the journey. And, I, and we used the money from the Tai Chi tape that we made, and Norbert and I produced the film. And he, my son starred in it and directed the film. 
and we cast a young lady, young girl at that time, 12 years old, Amber Tamblyn. It was her first film. Uh, a few months ago, Amber calls me and says, Nancy, I'm directing my first film next month. I want you to be in it, play a role in it. It's called Painted Black, you know, based on a book. And it's my first directing job. And, uh, and I thought, wow, what goes around comes around. We cast Amber when she was 12, and now I'm going to be in her film, uh, and she's directing it. So I think it's terrific. You know, it's great. That's wonderful. Yeah. Timing is everything. It is. It? Yeah. It's, um, what are your um, any particularly wonderful or interesting memories you have of your television work that you did? I mean, you did Wonder Woman. <laughs> Lots of five and Hawaii Five O. Uh, uh, yes. So I mean, we did the pilot for Hawaii Five O, which was a, a lot of fun. Um, I don't know, you know, working in Hawaii. I did. I, this is twice now. The first, uh, the other film was with Dick Van Dyke, and Hawaii is a very balmy weather. You know, very laid back. Every time I go there to work, I'm sleeping half the time on the beach. You know, so <laughs> waiting between calls, I'm always sleeping. And and I remember working with Akim Tamarov which I thought was a great actor, you know, and bigger than life with Digman Dyke. And we had a great time. I just, and now Hawaii Five-O was with Jack Lord. And so I, Jack didn't get on with everybody, but thank God I got on with Jack, you know, and it was a pilot. And he was on the series for like 10 years. I mean, I think eventually he gave it up. He said, you know, he had enough. But it's a great place to work, and now they have Hawaii Five-O, we were just in Hawaii last week because I was there for the China Night, which is the Hawaii uh, Five Hawaii Film Festival, part of the film festival, raising funds for Chinese students to go over there or come over here to study. So it was a nice fundraiser. During your career in, in all of in Hollywood, and would, did you encounter racism? Yeah, sometimes yes. Not really blatantly, like some of my friends, like I have a girlfriend, and she, now this was in like the early 60s, and she wanted to live in Beverly Hills. She wanted to rent an apartment there. She's Chinese, they didn't rent it to her. They didn't say, you're Chinese, I'm not really, but I think she got the, the, you know, she got the gist of it. Yes, I think you feel it. I mean, I think you do. I think it's better today, but it's still there. Racism is still there. I don't care. I mean, uh, it raises its ugly head sometimes, but um, and don't tell me it's not, because believe me, it's still there. Oh, yes, I know. Audience questions. Okay. Now, you have to go. Anybody has a question has to go to the microphone. And you're only allowed to ask one question. My notes here. <laughs> uh, you're so wonderful in Flower Drum Song. And your two numbers are incredible. Uh, could you talk about doing I Enjoy Being a Girl and Fantan Fanny? What was that like to film? <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm in martial arts, because I learn, I'm still studying martial arts, and I'm learning the fan. Actually, I competed in the tournament recently. In the fan, I got the gold medal, by the way. <laughs> 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 and so. Because you mentioned Fantan Fanny, and I was there with a small little fan, the one with the martial arts, the big fan. And uh, it was great because it's Hermes Penn. You know, Hermes had such a, he was such a great choreographer. He was so uh, creative, and he inspired you so much. Like, uh, I enjoy being a girl. We had three mirrors, 
and it was a very technical shoot because you, you can't go further out. You can't, you know, if your arms go out, then you have to reshoot it again. So your turn, your pirouette, I think you have to keep your hand within that one frame, you know, with three frames. It took us a whole day to shoot just that setup, you know, with all the costumes and dancing in and out, and the cinematographer lighting it so that it's not, the camera's not in the, in the, in the mirror, and all that stuff. I go home, in the evening, I get a call. I said, Nancy, we have to reshoot the whole number. I said, no, why? He said, oh, there was a fly or something, you know, on the lens. <laughs> so we had to do it again. Welcome to the movies. Yeah, rehearsal. And, and I think you, it'd be nice if you could say your name before you ask your question. So tell us after the fact your name. David, no. Um, one, one more thing, that, that outfit you wore, was quite skimpy. Yeah. <laughs> what? I didn't hear. Do you have a problem with the, uh, the costume you Skimpy, the skimpy Oh, skimpy. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> you, no, were used, you were used to it by then. The song wasn't that skimpy, actually. I mean, as Irene Sheriff is a, a costume designer, wonderful costume designer. She did Cleopatra for Liz Taylor and all that. And she, and, uh, she was very clever with the fans, I thought. You know, I mean, instead of doing a strip number, she had these fans that you pull, and then the last one, you know, you get the reaction from uh, uh, No, I had no problems. It's like wearing a bikini. Uh, good evening. Uh, my name is Wellington Chen. Nancy, finally get to meet you. Um, you bring back a lot of fond memories. I happen to be very fortunate during the time when Bruce Lee came back from the United States yeah. and launched his career. I saw the world, uh, you know, the Nancy Kwan. Uh, talking about coming back to Hong Kong, what do you miss about Hong Kong? I remember the beautiful harbor. I remember the red-haired Dutch sailors. I remember the Seven Fleet soldiers coming and have a good time, exactly like the way it was depicted in your first movie. So the thing that saddens me is seeing the harbor being reduced, and I, I remember seeing the Emerald uh, Sea, the, yes. uh, the blue water. Uh, the Hong Kong is different. What do you miss about Hong Kong, and, and do, do you, what do you think is the difference now? The food. It's <laughs> the food. No, but it's true because of the reclaimed land. I wrote a letter actually. I was back there a few years ago, and they, you know, the harbor is getting closer and closer because exactly. you know it can only build right. up, right. and it's using the reclaimed land. So I wrote a nasty letter to the editor, and I said, "Why don't you just build a bridge? Forget about the Star Ferry and just walk across." If you reclaim it. <laughs> just, just as a parting comment, uh, thanks to you, I, my, one of my first jobs in America was working in, uh, as a maitre d' in Flower Drum, right by UN. Ah. <laughs> okay. Uh, hi. Um, you mentioned that you're seeing your favorite Chinese film actresses doing screen tests uh, in Hong Kong for Susie Wong. Yes. And um, you know, I've seen a lot of Hong Kong musicals from the 60s and you know, Shaw Brothers movies. And yeah. I'm wondering, did the Hong Kong film industry contact you after you became famous in Suzy Wong and Flower Drum Song and offer you any parts in the movies of the 60s? Yes, actually, Run Run, because I know Run Run. And I, I interviewed Run Run, actually. And he did ask me to be in a film. And I thought, OK, I think about it. That was the time I went to China. When I came back, Run Run called me up and said, Ooh, Nancy, Nancy, I can't have you in the film because, you know, my studio, they're going to close my studio down. <laughs> Politics. 
But did you get any any offers to do musicals or swashbucklers, that kind of film, in the 1960s? No, no. Because Bruce, Bruce and I would have made a film together. Oh, okay. Unfortunately, he because I, you know, I, I, unfortunately, I had lunch with Bruce the day before he passed away oh with Raymond Chow, the three of us, and talking and things like that. And then, you know, it was very sad. And the next evening, the night or morning. Uh, someone called me at three in the morning and said he had passed away. So we we probably would have worked together. Okay. Thank you. Hi, uh, my name is Ashley Alger, and Hi. I apologize. I have a, a comment on a question. Um, so uh, I'm from Los Angeles as well, and my mother is also Chinese, and uh, she's one of eight children. They came over from Hong Kong, um, and my grandmother had three movies that were English movies in her house that were uh, My Fair Lady. Pillow Talk and Flower Drum Song. Should <laughs> <laughs> so, I musicals? So I watched your uh, Flower Drum Song many times when I was uh, young, and all of my cousins, because I was born in '88, all of my aunts and uncles had children in '88, um, as you can imagine. <laughs> um, all of us would watch that movie, and we would uh, sing your songs and like, you know, dance to Fan Tan Fanny. And I just wanted to say thank you because you are one of the only people that we would see who like represented something similar to us, and it was like. Awesome. So it's really nice to meet you, and uh, thank you. Aww. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Good evening, Nancy. My name is Ken Figgs, and I was introduced to Flower Drum Song senior year of high school. We did that as a play, and I was turned on ever since. And I think I was the first person in New Jersey to buy the DVD when it came out. And I've seen it like 200 times. Um, recently, you know, James Shigeta passed away. Yes, I know. And I was I'm at just the interested in finding out, do you have any special memories of working with James Shigeta? Uh, I liked it. James was a friend. We were at the memorial uh, recently, and uh, very sad, because James was a very private person. You know, he, he really, he didn't like to mix, he didn't like to go to parties, he didn't really assert himself, he really didn't want to push himself. He was just a very nice man, very private. And I got to know him quite well because he played my partner in Flower Drum Song. Wonderful man, wonderful to work with. Did he have much of a career after Flower Drum Song? It, you know, I think even to today, for the male uh, Asians, it's, I see more female working than males. I think that's also changing a little bit too, hope so. And, um, and Jimmy was, at the time, he was caught in between. I'm sure he would love, love to have worked more, but he didn't get the opportunity. And he didn't push himself, you know. I think we have one more question. Hi, hi Nancy, my name's Christine. I just wanted to know, what, what, was, your favorite, what was your favorite decade and why? <laughs> <laughs> decade, wow. I had a lot of decades. <laughs> a lot of memories, a lot of decades. Well, I don't have a favorite decades, but I mean, I like the music in the 60s, the Beatles and all that, because maybe <laughs> I was growing up at that time and the clothes, the mini skirts and all that stuff. But I think every decade has something to, that you remember, you can remember by, I mean, that you can celebrate. That was a good one, though. That was a good one, yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you. I want to say something too. Do you want to introduce your husband? Yeah, no. Um, so, um, oh, that's Nancy, Norbert over Nancy there, my other half. Nancy just has a word 
to oh. say to her, your friends. Thank you. Right? Uh, thank you. I have a lot of friends here. Uh, thank you very much for coming. The Marinor alumni, very much thank you for coming from as far as Hawaii, from Los Angeles, and all of you. You've been a terrific audience, and thank you very much.